And the new house, we don't have cable at all. We just have internet and got the new Apple TV. Haven't set it up yet, but excited to play with that. Yeah, I was going to say, set aside like about half a day to set it up, especially if you have strong passwords. Why is that? The remote is the worst, especially for typing. Really? Yeah, if you a lot of reviews were, were doing about this. So there's like one big long list of letters. So you have to basically swipe all the way from A to Z and back and forth again. And it doesn't even loop. And there's acceleration, so you can get there faster, but you'll never hit the right letter. Like you get there fast and then you like overshoot it by three letters and then literally click back and it takes forever. Can you use your phone to type like you could in the last one? Nope, they shut that off. You cannot set up a Bluetooth keyboard. You cannot set up a phone. As far as I've heard, uh, nobody knows why. There's assumptions that they just want to force you to like learn to be better at using the remote, but there's really no good explanation. Can you tell Siri your password? You cannot. <laughs> Q, capital W, two. It would be nice if you can upload a config file somewhere. That sounds like a terrible UX. <laughs> but it, as far as, like, yeah, the, the UX, the usability stuff, like, it's really bad, and it ha- seems like it has to be on purpose. Like, I actually started it up, and the old Apple remote works, but the acceleration doesn't. And the first thing you get is a list of countries and regions, and it is, like, every country and region that they could possibly. I think they just made some of them up. It was so big, and you have to scroll to you. And if you try to do that on the regular Apple remote, uh, you're going to press down a lot of times. Well, but why would you use the original one, not the new one? Well, I mean, you could. Actually, for some reason, mine came not charged, which is also like, why did you send me a dead remote? Mm. So I, my old one, I was like charging the remote while like using my old Apple remote, and I couldn't scroll down to United States. It was frustrating. We only have, I guess, three accounts on there would be the iTunes account itself, uh, Netflix, and HBO Now. HBO Now is great because we had HBO Go through um, our cable subscription. Uh, but that's really annoying because it like logs you out every, I don't know, I don't know when they decided, maybe it's a week or two weeks. But like if you don't watch every single day, like you always have to put your password in. Which but is then, terrible when you want to like, like, I really want to watch a show and now you're like digging up one password in your phone and then trying to type the long password. If it's that long, just don't even, like, change it for, like, temporarily or something. You'll be there for a long time. <laughs> Some stuff like YouTube has a thing where you can go to URL and just type in the code. But... Yeah, oh, I was going to yeah. say that that's the plus about HBO Go is you can auth via your browser. Yeah, but HBO now just stays, stays signed in. Like, it hasn't asked me to log in for the past month. Hmm. It's pretty great. Because I, I guess that, like, is a restriction from Comcast and Verizon that you need to re-auth every so often. So, Pam, did you uh, go to anything good at bar camp? Um, I liked Ruth Kalinka did a session on Around the World in 80 Flavors, which was just chatting about different spices and herbs and what they're used for. Oh, nice. That was nice. And it was a session right before lunch. So that was nice because then you were like, oh, man, lunch sounds like a really good idea. Is there a spice that you learned about that you didn't know about? Well, I knew... I've heard of savory and it's, it's fun because it's, it was, you know, a discussion. So you're, you're, you think, well, I can ask any dumb questions I have here and they won't be dumb because it's a session about this, but savory is a thing. And I, I don't think I've ever bought it for myself, but I think we have it like in a spice rack thing that came with like 30 spices or something. Yeah, basically what I learned is that it makes things savory, which essentially makes it impossible to explain. But that it... Umami? No, they didn't say that. That would be different. But they 
the example was if you make stuffing and you just added broth and bread and then the thing that you would add that would make it taste like stuffing would be savory. Oh, interesting. And that's how you could think of it. Of like that's the thing that makes it go from soggy bread to tasting like stuffing. So that was helpful. I would like to learn more about spices, like I or herbs and things. What what goes with what? Because I know like I know what goes with rosemary on a very basic level, and I know oregano is Italian dishes. But that's about the extent of my <laughs> spice knowledge. Um, there is a there, one suggestion someone said was that you make things, make something that you know regularly, and then overdo it on one spice. And then you can get a sense of what that contributes. So you can kind of, you know, change it up and see how it changes the experience. Eggs. So there's more than black pepper and salt. Yes. Pro tip, pre-mix some salt and pepper, fresh ground pepper in a little thing. And then you just have like a single container to pinch and sprinkle on your food to make it taste great. They also sell that. But mixing it is probably better. <laughs> make sure it's kosher salt and not, not iodized salt. I mean, the thing I'm interested in is is especially herbs, because that's that's one of the things I always cheap out on. Is I have a lot of spices, but herbs I tend to cheap out. And I have a basil plant, and I don't know. I would like to figure out how, some cool way to grow a bunch of herbs and have them. Because that's the thing; they get really expensive if you buy them at the store. Yeah. So it's really a lot smarter to grow them. And the other part, the good thing about growing them is you don't have to worry about them going bad. So I'll be at the store and just always think I'm going to be more uh, adventurous in the kitchen than I am. And then I just have a a bunch of rotting plants in my fridge. So the thing about, well, some herbs are okay to buy. Like I don't mind if I have to buy parsley because I uh, make my own vegetable stock. And so what I do, a friend taught me this when I lived in DC, is you keep a bag in the freezer and whenever you have vegetable scraps, you just throw them in the bag. And then when you have enough, you put it, well, I use a pressure cooker and then add a few other things and then pressure cook it for 10 minutes and then it's broth. After you filter, after you like, you know, strain out the skins and stuff. I'm noticing a theme. I ask about bar camp. And for every episode, I think our first like 20 minutes, we talk about food somehow. Like, how do we possibly talk about food so much? I mean, because food is great. Are we like, is everyone like not eating breakfast before we record? I didn't eat breakfast. <laughs> I mean, I, I might breakfast. be thinking about it because I just ate breakfast. In uh, fact, I could talk about what I made for breakfast. Food is just a great topic to talk about because like everybody eats food and everybody likes food because, you know, you kind of need it to live. And it's just so much you can do with it. Yeah. But the first like 15 minutes of our programming top, our podcast is always about food. And then we talk about programming later. What if we started a podcast <laughs> about programming and food and liquor? And types. <laughs> and types. <laughs> That's programming. Um, that is true. No, I've always thought if I wasn't a programmer, I would maybe be a chef. Or go to restaurant school and see how good of a chef I am first. <laughs> I went to a, a talk on self-organizing teams. The thing I liked about that is uh, they started out with this uh, demo of getting a bunch of people uh, and having them hold a rope. Apparently, this is like a common demo for this, but I've never seen it before. And they have a project manager, and no one can do anything unless the project manager tells them to do it, and they try to get untangled in a minute, and it never works. And then uh, they let people just like figure it out amongst themselves, and they always figure out how to untangle themselves in like 20 seconds. That's great. 
Oh, it was an, an exercise? Yeah. That's cool. Were there any, did you go to any programming talks? I'm trying to see what else I went to. I have like three Macs now, and it's weird. Um, oh, I went to uh, Can You Measure Productivity? Uh, answer is no, only subjectively, which is a good talk. It's a talk that is essentially no. <laughs> <laughs> but they did bring up a good question. Like, how do you like, I don't know, how would you kind of measure your team's productivity like that when you only have subjective critique? Can we define subjective? So, you know, it's not, I think we've talked about this before, but you can't just like say, oh, uh, this person's a really good programmer. Like, look how they tear through Pivotal. Uh, because maybe like objectively they are, doing a lot of stories, but if they're use, leaving a huge mess in their wake, right, they're actually just cleaning up messes for other people to clean up. They're just putting up technical debt on the company credit card. Uh, and even though <laughs> on this objective stance, like they get a lot of stuff done, but like they're not necessarily more productive than somebody who, you know, cleans up after themselves, cleans up after that messy person and does fewer stories, right? It's a 10X programmer. <laughs> Didn't they make that joke last time that the 10x programmer is 10x because it takes 10 people to, to clean up their mess? <laughs> I really wanted to go to bar camp. I bought a ticket, and then um, I felt guilty for not, like, painting and doing drywall sanding and other things that we need to do for our house. So I stayed home and did that. Probably should have went to bar camp. I didn't go to bar camp. I bought rain pants and stuff. Rain pants? For, for well, biking? Yeah, waterproof. Excited for it to rain and try them out. So, computer update because I did talk about this last episode. So excited! <laughs> I got my computer back the day before I was set to travel, and that was replaced because I used a third-party power adapter, blew everything up, took it back in. They replaced the logic board and the DC in board, uh, but then I got it back, and it was still randomly crashing. And it was the day before I traveled, and I was going to be away for a week. Uh, and I don't know, it was, it was ridiculous. Like, I couldn't move it. Moving my laptop would usually mean it black screen of death. Uh, letting it sleep would give me the black screen of death. Uh, and then it just progressively got worse. And I took it to Apple, uh, and they said they could bring it in for a repair, like my last day of my trip. So I bought the cheapest air. Uh, and then I took it to them the last day of the trip, and they're like, oh, yeah, we, we did something wrong. This is completely fried. Uh, your new logic board got fried. So I got, at least I got a new MacBook Pro out of it. They gave me the newest MacBook Pro. Oh, wow. Yeah. I would say free, but I already paid for one upgrade and countless Uber rides back and forth to the Apple Store. Uh, so far from free, but at least I did get a much faster computer out of the deal. And I flew back from Philly with two Mac- two brand new MacBooks. <laughs> I was like, Len, why do you have two MacBooks? So what are you going to do with the Air? Um, I'm going to keep it at least through the holidays for holiday travel and CodeMash because uh, it is a little more convenient on planes. Uh, oh, Alaska. Alaska has super small seats. I'm usually good at like being able to work on the plane, but this was like a little ridiculous. The person in front of me reclined, and I was doing like T-Rex arms, and it, I, I just put it away. Like. I'm usually good at T-Rex arms, but this was, like, extreme. Like, my, my, like, hands were up by my chin. It was not working out. Is it an 11-inch? Yeah, it's, like, the, the, the smallest, cheapest air. It's tiny. It's cute. It's a great laptop. 
it doesn't look anywhere near as good as the new MacBooks, but it's actually cheaper and way and still faster than the regular MacBooks. Yeah. How long is the flight from Seattle? Uh, to Philly? Five and a half hours. I guess that is a pretty big chunk of time to work. Yeah. Or do something on the computer. That's all I do on planes is either code. It's great, great to code on a plane because you have like the worst internet, if internet at all. So you get really, uh, really focused. And either that or I watch a movie. I usually like put a movie on the iPad and Ex Machina, good movie. I was actually thinking about that. How bad internet PC warfare is different. Facebook now has a uh, 2G Tuesdays for an hour. Every Tuesday, they make the internet at your desk 2G. Uh, apparently, it's like optional too. So it's it seems like a really good idea that somebody like kind of butchered into like oh we don't want to like make anybody unhappy. But they have a lot of users that are on 2G, so it seemed like a really great idea. Do you think employees at Facebook go on Facebook during the day? <laughs> I would assume so. Do they use Facebook for like all work activities? Like they have little private groups for like instead of Slack, they just use Facebook Messenger. And their wall is a Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg's wall is their like pivotal uh, tracker tool. (laughs) This is done. Nope, not done. Reopening. So Jira. Uh, (laughs) Don't. uh, no, No Jira. I feel like I understand the the use case, though. Or it it works well here. Are you an enterprise developer now, Jervon? No. It's the use case for uh, middle managers to rearrange things and create stories and then assign due dates. No, just creating tickets for people to do. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, not people. I like, oh, I need access to this account. Create a Jira ticket. Oh, so you're saying, like, organize things across an organization instead of just a team. Yeah, it's interesting to, like, have access to everyone's Jira board and then add a ticket to their board. Like, hey, operations, I need this. So, but the UI is still terrible. What's your favorite tracking tool? Me? Uh, Everybody. Probably Pivotal. I haven't used Pivotal. You've never used Pivotal? No. What's your favorite, Pam? They're all terrible. Rally is not my favorite. It's the worst. I think I, you know, I think I don't like any of them. I'm going to say none because I've never met a team that like deeply valued it really. I mean, I'm we're, I'm currently happy with Trello. I don't particularly like it that much, but at least the, the null thing that I need from a tracking system is for everyone who's supposed to be using it to actually use it. And... Right now, that is true for Trello. So even though I don't really like Trello as a tracker, I'm happy because the team that I'm working with is using it. I could say the same thing for GitHub Issues, where when I've used GitHub Issues in the past as an issue tracker, I wasn't super happy with GitHub Issues, but people actually used them. Therefore, I liked it. With Jira and Rally, I cannot say the same. Well said. I have nothing but to reiterate, to everything is terrible. <laughs> Pivotal is missing a piece of the puzzle between was it delivery and acceptance i haven't used it in a while but when you like commit merge something at the master and deploying it and then accepting it there's a missing missing piece there oh yeah you definitely need to be able to customize that part at least the acceptance flow yeah like even right now we have a piece where it's like yeah what what does deliver versus finish mean and that 
means different things to different people. And finish has to go through two steps, and we kind of have to track that in our minds, which is terrible. So finish is like, uh, I'm done with it. Uh, delivered means it's on QA, but then we need to get it through like internal QA before it goes to client QA, and we just juggle that and mess that up constantly. So yeah, that needs to be fixed. Or we could just use Trello. And then we'd be able to make a column for all those things. I've only used Trello on one team, but it seemed it became a mess very quickly, which is probably true of any Kanban system that doesn't have if you're not good about like making sure that your your lanes only have so many things in them. The way why was that messier than what you would have done in anything else? Like Pivotal like limits your if you're if you're doing like story points, it limits what is in progress right now. You can start multiple things and then but then I don't know, it kinda like self schedules your, your iteration length, right? I guess that's also true. I have the same problem with GitHub issues right now where we have a roadmap repository with all of our issues in it and uh, across like all of our internal stuff. And I probably have like 10 things assigned me right now. I'm working on one of them. So you use GitHub issues now? Yes. Yeah, every, every public open source thing has its own issues like, like any open source project would. And then all of our internal stuff is just one GitHub issues repository. And we use milestones too to track what we're doing each month. I actually, I was in a conversation when I was back in Philly about like physical boards and I know this is like Justin's pet peeve, uh, but I do miss them. And I think, you know, my biggest hobby, hobby being board games makes me realize how much people like physical things. Like there's just a connection to something that's physical that you'll never have when it's virtual. A lot of board games exist. There's a lot of haptics researchers who would be very excited to prove you wrong. Oh, really? What is, explain well, I mean, so there actually is research on, so the research that you made me think of is about that people, well, people present the research that people learn better when they read from a physical copy than from a digital copy. Right. That's a, a form of research. But the thing is that there's plenty of people working. So haptics is the side of, I would say, information sciences maybe computing, um, but that deals maybe psychology, but that also that deals with the sense of touch. And so haptics, haptics are like why your GameCube controller rumbles, you know, mm. so providing sensory feedback. And so people are doing research on how haptics could impact how how we can we use haptics to create better experiences? I mean, uh, the the Apple Watch that what what I whatever it's called they have they have a form of haptic feedback. Is it the heartbeat? Uh, not the heartbeat, but I think they call it something different other than haptic feedback. But it is haptic feedback. Just saying that the there's there's nothing insurmountable about the digital world not mapping to physical touch. It's just that we haven't figured out a way to create a haptic experience yet Mm. being kind of a futurist i do very much look forward to like the things that like justin's kid will be like you didn't have that when you were younger it's gonna be so awesome it's gonna be great one of those flying cars (laughs) so elon musk was on a podcast that went over flying cars really well and like you, you don't want flying cars like they're loud you Isn't Elon like Musk cars. on the on the on Team Train? Oh yeah, the Hyperloop. Yeah, he's pro train, right? Yeah. Is that him? Yeah. 
Oh, I didn't even think about loud. It'd be like you're all everyone's living next to an airport all the time. Yeah, cars terrible. are cars are loud. They, they could fall on your head. <laughs> They're, It'd all be uh, like Lynn's apartment. <laughs> yeah, the cheapest way to like move something from A to B is on the ground with wheels. <laughs> Probably the safest way too. I feel or, like he's just saying that now, and then later he's gonna be like, "Guess what, everyone." Look at my flying car. No, Look like, at my but, rockets. But there are there are production like flying like personal helicopters and cars, but like it's just not doesn't make sense. Like So also the reason that flying or one of the many reasons, one is that they go really fast, but the other is that, you know, planes don't have obstructions in the of the physical world. But that's because there's not a flying flip cars. ton of planes. Mm-hmm. But if I think about that interestingly, in that I don't feel like people like Elon Musk would articulate this way, but especially, well, especially when I see people getting all road ragey, I think about how one of the reasons that they're road ragey is they, people who are road ragey, to me, I imagine that they have a fundamental belief that the road belongs to them and that they should be able to do whatever they want and that they don't, they shouldn't be a participant in the commons. And so then that's when problems arise. It's a, it's a tragedy of the commons and economics is that when when you have a resource such as open space or water uh, that other like lots of people use, people don't see themselves as part of a team of people who work together to use this resource in the most efficient and protective way. They, they're, they're often greedy consumers who want to just do whatever they want. So... In that way, I guess I think that's why I like really like public transit and things like that because you you opt into, okay, I'm going to use this shared infrastructure and all of us, you know, agree that this is the shared infrastructure we have, like a super fast train. That would be cool. I, want, I wonder who was the first person that says, said, let's bottle water and sell it. If you had a time machine, would you go back in time and shoot that person in the face? That was really intense. Maybe. But I would think about that. That's pretty. That's like one of the worst things we have right now. Bottled water. Yeah. I or, mean, it, well, it has. Let's like, say bottled bottled water in places with potable water. Yeah, yeah. Like it definitely that's, has. Like, that's what I mean explicitly. Like I, I'm don't I don't ignore place. There are places with non-potable water, of course. But I also think that you know maybe don't package it in only fourteen ounces. Yeah, they've had gallon jugs of water for forever. You know. <laughs> yeah, but the yeah, it's the the individual you know 12 to 14 ounce whatever it is i had i had like a four ounce bottle of water last night at a party oh my gosh those baby bottles they're yeah. really cute because they're small and i like small things but but you take like a swig and then it's so... empty and then you have this plastic shell right and then you're a terrible person then you refill it over and over and over uh i was reading something about self-driving cars and like one of the problems uh, and it was like, when should your self-driving car kill you? And it was like, oh, yeah. thing, like AI problem. Like you come around the corner uh, and there's like five children. Uh, <laughs> if you were the driver, you'd probably crash into the wall. Uh, but then on the other hand, you know, you're going to have a machine that might decide uh, it's probably best to kill you. Yeah. Like, like if the cars are networked and they know like the outcome of all possible scenarios, like how does it assign value to human life and what does it do? Do they ever mention that that's really the car form of a really classic ethical question? There's a classic ethical question that you use to figure out to usually it's used as like a trap. I forget what it's called. I I might have to look it up or 
bother the husband. But usually people use it to show that people are not consistent in their ethical beliefs. But the the train uh, story that there's like a train and then there's a fork in the tracks and there's one person strapped to the tracks and then, you know, like 20 people standing around the other fork. Like which fork do you take if, you know, if you're on a ledge like and you can push someone over in order to stop the train? Do you do that in order to save 10 people, what have you? And it's, it's it goes through a whole series of questions and usually people are inconsistent. So because you asked them at the beginning – do you believe in the greatest good for the most? The what? What is that phrase? The most for the many. Right. Uh, or or do you like you know you ask people about their ethical points and then you ask them a bunch of questions and then you show them that they're inconsistent. So then, do they swap the single person with someone like a spouse or something? And then I think so. I think it's something okay. like they they try and say. I mean, it's kind of unfortunate. I think the test is older. They say, like, can you push an overweight person over the ledge, which is obviously trying to code that overweight is bad. But and they try and put, like, someone that you, you're like, oh, well, this person could be pushed over the ledge freely. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, and then I don't know. I don't know if they actually do a, a one, but that would be a good one of, like, are you consistent if it's, like, someone, you know, if you could push a serial killer over the ledge or, like, if you could push, like, a baby <laughs> and then, you know, which would you do if they both have the same outcome of saving 10 people? Maybe the car scenario is not really an issue because, like, if the car is smart enough to know what would happen in all scenarios, it's smart enough to avoid the scenario in the first place. I actually don't like the use of the word smart there. Um, intelligent? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't like it because it's not it's not smart. Um, or I guess what do we mean when we say smart? Omniscient. Hmm. Also, none of them are going to be omniscient because every every system has faults. So yeah, people, human programmers. <laughs> so just AI well, I mean every car. every every system. No system is a hundred percent, you know, infallible. Like that yeah. is just computers. Um, you always have to imagine fault. Like there will always be a mistake. There will always be an error. Something will always happen. Therefore, you cannot say that it is omniscient or that it will always make the right, you know, quote, correct decision. Well, I guess the uh, the hope or fear of um, AI is that we're going to hit a, a cliff where AI will start programming itself. And then maybe that is a possibility that there would be no fault if it could. You just watched that movie, didn't you? Which, which one? X, X Machine. I, I did, I did it a couple months ago. Yeah, it was pretty okay. good. Um. But yeah, like like the the hope and fear is like that AI is is progressing more and more rapidly, and then at some point we're going to hit a cliff where like overnight is just going to be like the sci-fi movie version of a computer that can think for itself, and maybe it could be infallible. Who knows? But what do you mean a computer that can think for itself? Well, like you mean a com- you mean a computer that's been trained? Well, I'm saying let's say let's say there are in the car scenario there are right now self-driving cars and there are human programmers that are programming algorithms for like what to do in this situation this other situation and how to take these different um, variables into account to make decisions Um, what if every aspect of producing that car was actually a computer ai robots whatever making all those making all the programming like maybe their goal is just like hey get people from a to point a to point b and uh preserve life like don't don't put humans in danger and then they just made up their own you know 
algorithms for driving, their own infrastructure. They would have uh, to be trained, though. I mean, but... I mean, they would have to... I mean, that's how AIs work. They, they'd start somewhere, and then they go through training mechanisms in order to learn or to teach themselves. Well, that's how they work right now. Yeah. Isn't the, isn't the goal for them to learn, even when there's training, like eventually they will learn by themselves? Yeah. Well, and one of the interesting things, I have a friend who's uh, working on their PhD and they work on virtual worlds. I think I've mentioned this before. They work on virtual worlds because they want to be able to create areas to train AIs mm-hmm. because it's, you know, you should train, uh, you should, you know, train an AI a lot before you put it out with people in virtual worlds. So, cause it's, it's, it's really the same. It's, you know, it's in one case, it's a simulation and then the AI is reacting to it and deciding on success or failure, uh, given criteria. Uh, and in the real world, it would just, you know, not be a simulation. I don't think it's different. Mm. The mobile robot Except that the researchers in the virtual environment can observe and, you know, correct as necessary or kill the AI as necessary. Yeah. The Mobile Robotics book that I'm reading strongly recommends against simulations versus like putting things in the real world because you can't simulate every input that the machine will receive. Does that mean you shouldn't test? Oh, you should definitely like test. <laughs> you should you should write unit tests, yes. <laughs> so are you all ready uh, for pick? Oh, what book are you reading, Justin? I think you mentioned it before, but... I don't have the title offhand, sorry. Okay. If you search for behavior-based robotics... You know, it should get the first result, probably. But yeah, let's pick some stuff. Uh, Pam, do you have a pick? I'm going to pick the... So there was a, a cool tutorial on Elasticsearch, and I thought it was. It seems very, very friendly and very useful if you're interested in getting started with Elasticsearch. So I'm going to pick that tutorial. Yeah, I'm going to pass this week, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we That's should fine. pivot and stop doing picks. No, yeah. no way. I like picks. Or we could maybe have a ask the listeners. I think they'll rebel. A random question every week instead. Random mm. question: What is your favorite spice to use? I could pick the only. I was looking at like my Amazon history. Oh, I'm trying to pick actually, a pick. I can okay. put in another hist- another pick. All right, take over my spot. All right. So in lieu of Len's pick, uh, the the Dev Tools Challenger is a a new thing out about uh, the dev tools in Firefox in particular. And there's a lot of CSS animation stuff. And I also really like that the dev tools challenger is a deep sea themed, partially because I've been watching so a lot of planet earth lately, but so the dev tools challenger, you, you wander through the deep sea and learn about CSS animation and it's really cool. Also has some, some music in it and stuff. If you like that um so yeah i i recommend that all right i'm actually going to take that back uh just to circle <laughs> back i mean if you are a board game fan i want to show this video it's about explaining board games uh and even if you're not i think it's interesting uh, if you're interested in the discussion we were just having about physical stuff uh and the suggestion uh, the guys are a little nerdy uh a lot of board game people will be but uh it's interesting that they suggest uh giving people uh parts of the game before you start just reciting the rules at them and that they'll be, I would love to see research on this, but anecdotally, I think it works. Like you give people the piece before you start telling them the rules and they're just like, 
they have something like a connection to the game and they seem more interested. Uh, and so it's an interesting thought experiment, at least. And I'll just throw that link in the show notes. I can believe that. Every time I play a board game or a card game, like I completely zone out while the person explaining the instructions. And I'm like, wait, can you repeat that? And then I zone out again. And then we start and playing. Also play the opposite rules. No, no. And then we start playing. And then I'm like, oh, I get this now. Right. Yeah, you're invested. You're good. Just do a practice round. Uh, cool. So, Justin, do you have a pick? Uh, sure. Actually, Len showed me this. It is a gem called RSpec Steps. So if you're doing some kind of testing, such as acceptance testing against a live website, and you want to run a bunch of small steps in order, uh, but if you don't want to like do like redo all your setup before each step, uh, this is a pretty good gem for that. And then also, warning, don't acceptance test stuff too much. <laughs> is that like given... The RSpec given gem? Yeah, it's like RSpec given uh, in a way. Um, I never really liked RSpec given, or I, I don't think the team I was on used it correctly. Um, it seemed like a little too metaprogrammy, maybe. Maybe. Um, it's cool. I idea. felt like it was just easy to shoot yourself in the foot. Maybe. I, I think I think where I where I broke down was like um, givens and. I think maybe other things too could have be like aliases for let or they could be before blocks. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that using that is kind of confusing. Right. I think the one I showed you is example steps, which is a little older, but it gives you all the aliases to do like given when then, but it, they're really just all it. And they'll be all combined into one big it block, which I liked. Yeah, it's, it's been working really well. They both seem cool. Uh, Jafan, do you have a pick? I do. I do. Uh, my music pick is. Uh... Odessa, uh, they did an episode on Diplo and Friends, um, which is really good. And then my programming pick is React Native. Uh, I've been playing with React Native a lot, and it's fun and it's easy to get an app or something on your phone to get excited about. Those are my picks. Cool. So show notes are at Turing.cool slash 70. Follow us on Twitter at TuringCool, and I'll talk to you all next week.